seen any of the black exploitation movies? Um, I don't think so. Okay, so maybe. a couple of years ago, maybe several years ago now, I went down a rabbit hole of like I watched a whole bunch of like Foxy Browns, Shaft, because there's like three Shaft movies. I think, there are, and then, yeah. And a Superfly and like Dolomite and like. So by today's standards, these movies are not good. They're not okay. <laughs> I saw one that came out that was like mocking the black exploitation. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get you, sucker. That's what which I is saw. One of the oh, best movies ever. Was, no, that was long. That's not what I'm talking about. No? I'm talking about another one. Neil Patrick Harris plays the white guy. Oh, what movie is it's this? It's so funny. And it came out in like 2006 or something. Oh, maybe it's uh, Michael J. White. Um, is it Kung Fu? Like, does it have like Kung Fu stuff in it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Black Dynamite, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. That, that one's good. Like, that one's making that fun one, of. Uh, yeah. It's like mocking it, but also like honoring it. It's, but when you see these movies, like when you see Superfly for the first time, you're like, it's so problematic in so many ways. And all the Foxy Brown movies. Okay, Pam Greer was so gorgeous yeah. and so, like, compelling. And she has really nice boobies, which they show a lot. But none of the women in these movies wear bras. I, I don't, like... Well, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. They all have, like, double Ds. I'm pretty and nobody sure has on a bra. it's not exactly <laughs> a feminist situation. No. I mean, when she pulls a gun out of her afro, uh, okay. I, was, I was down no, for that's that. that's good, that's good, that's good. Uh, but, but I was saying, like... You have to put it in context. Like black yeah. people are so happy to see themselves as leads and movies. Yeah, and I think like, that that matters. But again, it's like yeah, that in and of itself, and then right. we can move on. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and also again, a lot of people who never create anything have a lot of opinions. But when you sit down, <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> to create something, you got a lot of opinions. It yeah. changes because then you realize like why they made certain decisions and and, that, and you and don't like, have. As much as your name might pop up as the creator, you yeah. really didn't have as much creative input yeah. as you as you wanted. And especially right? with film, because film is really collaborative. Like you know, depending yeah. on how good your uh, producers are, you know, if they're money people or if they if they create good creative producers, you know. So anyway, but shall we get started? Let's get started. All right, darling. I think you're first this week. I'm first. Who's your notorious woman know. this week? All right, so my notorious woman. This might be long. I'm okay. not even sure. I just kept getting new information, oh. and I was like, oh, let me write that down. So it might be a little, like, disjointed. Okay. So I discovered her when I took this, like, my team at work did this Christmas, like, party thing with this artist. We're very creative, weird people, and so we do... <laughs> A little bit bizarre things, which is what I love about my, one of the things I love about my job. Um, and so we were going to, like, it was like paint night, you know, those paint night oh, things. Oh, yes, yes. But instead yes. of painting, we were going to do a photo montage. Oh. Which is a thing. Yeah, it which is. I think of, like, I was like, wow, that's what I do with my kids for every project. I know, but for adults. <laughs> right. And so I was a little bit like, oh, it's like doing their homework, but drunk you know? <laughs> which sometimes happens at home too what um but fine i love my team and this is different it's great yeah and i so we got like a little lecture on what photo montage is okay. and the history of it i had no idea it was this this whole movement and thing and one of the main 
perpetrator is not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the only word I can like think of. Like leaders right among. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, uh, to, to, New voices. To, to create, make this art movement uh, more mainstream. Right, right. Is this woman. Okay. Named Hannah Hoch. Okay. I'm saying it right because I'm Jewish. Okay. Um, if you're Jewish or German, you ch, ch. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got that. I, I, I won't even. I'm trying to get my children to learn it, and I yeah. think it's already too late. <laughs> <laughs> They're already like, huh? Their American huh? tongues are like, huh? I'm like, what kind of Jewish boys are? It's fine. I know. Uh, one who loved bacon. Um, that's fair. Their mommy gives it to them. So, yeah. anyways. <laughs> so, and she went on about this woman, and I was like, what can. We write this down, and so I'm, I'm giving you, like, too much information at the top, but I just wanted to share why I'm so excited to talk okay. about her because I, and I, told, I was like, I have this podcast. It's about women like her. Um, yes, but I'm ready. So um, that, that is who I'm going to talk about. So Hannah Hoch. I'm probably not going to say How her last. How do you spell that? A, uh, last, last name H-O-C-H. Oh, okay. So I would then, say Hawk. Yeah, you'd be so wrong. Though. I know, I know. Hotch. Oh God. Hotch. Hannah. Hoch. Precious ears. Hot. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Bless you. Um, <laughs> but she was she was actually born Anna Therese Johann Hoch. Um, I don't have I have a lot of stuff on her. I don't I don't have when or why she changed her name to Hannah. Okay. Something about the H-A-N-N-A-H, the, what's the word? Just a stage name. Like, yeah. yeah. And she liked how it was, the yeah. spell it forwards and backwards. Palindrome? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Is that's that what the word? Said. Yeah. So many words. So many words. Um, she was born November 1st, 1889, uh, into an upper middle class family in Southeast Germany. Her dad's uh, name was Friedrich, very German. Friedrich? Frederick? American version okay. of it. Friedrich. Friedrich. Thank okay. you. Her mo- you can do this one. Her mother's name is Rosa. Rosa. You got uh, Rosa. it, girl. <laughs> Don't. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I have to. I know. Rosanna. No, that's wrong. That's anyway. definitely not what I said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her dad was a supervisor of an insurance company, and her mom was an amateur painter. Oh. Uh, she was the oldest of five children. Ooh. And this is a quote from her about her father. Her father believed, quote, a girl should get married and forget about studying art. Obviously, mm. that came up in a conversation about her probably wanting to study art. And also, uh, excuse me, my mama is a painter? Amateur painter. Meaning okay. she probably mostly stayed home and take care of the children. And when she had half a second to herself, yeah. she cried tears of frustration Aww. and did her art. I'm throwing in the tears of frustration. No, I think that is true. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, So she went to a local girls' high school, uh, but was pulled out at age 15. It didn't say when she started the high school, but if it was high school, she was probably not there for very long. They pulled her out at 15, so like in school at all. It said she started her schooling at this girls' high school. Can't she at least finish high school, Dad? Nope. She had to stay home to look after her youngest sister. Yeah. That's usually what it is. I mean, right. It must suck being the oldest of like five kids. I Even know, today. Right? It's got to be the hard. The oldest is, has a hard time. I, I have to, I used to give my brother such a hard time, but I'm like, mm, he, he felt responsible well, for us. Well, you know. Whether it was warranted or not. That's his. And it comes off what? as being Look, bossy. I'm going to say this. My brother tried to parent me, you know, like when I was a kid, <laughs> like, you're not my dad. You yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, those yeah. things happen. 
But I have two children that are the exact same age uh-huh. with a two-minute discrepancy. And um, they boss each other. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I feel like I feel like that's just a sibling. No, it's a sibling thing, thing definitely. Which I wouldn't yeah. have known had I not had two children two minutes apart. Um, There's no relationship like the one you have with your siblings. Yeah, it's intense. Mm-hmm. It really is. Hopefully, you love them, but usually you want to kill them. I get it's it. It's a combination. It is. It yeah, is. It's, a, it's like a solid combination. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I I feel it, and then I see it now. Yeah. I'm like oh man. Huh. Yeah, it's not fair. Like, sometimes I'm like, I know. It's yeah. not fair. I don't want to tell you. Oh, poor Anna or Hannah. Uh, uh, well, Anna. Ha- Hannah. Yeah, Hannah. Anna. Hannah. Oh, I don't know. Hannah. Ha- Hannah. I'm going to call her Hannah. We'll say Hannah. You can let me know if I'm wrong. So they pulled her out of school um, to take care of her. Out of school. Okay. It's in 1904. They pulled her out. In 1912, she went back to her education. She started taking classes at the School of Applied Arts in Berlin under the guidance of glass designer Harold Bergen. So eight years later? Eight years later. Okay. So her the child must have been a baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Which, I mean, like, don't have, ah, uh, whatever. So many opinions, Lavetta. So little time. Um, she chose glass design and graphic arts because she wanted to please her father she was interested in fine arts okay but to humor daddy yeah so uh however the school closed uh at the outbreak of the first world war in 1914 Mm -hmm. and she went back home to join the red cross okay in 1915 she went back to berlin and studied graphic arts at the school of the royal museum of applied arts under emil orlick so i guess some Schools closed and some schools stayed Hannah open. Hannah was like, listen to him, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm I, against my education. <laughs> she was like... Good for her. She was a boomerang. She was yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to try this again. Because she Which, probably was like, finally, I'm here. Damn it, war. Damn you, war. I can't I can't even imagine no support from her family. Right. A war going on, a world war. Yeah. And most people do not keep going back. No. I mean, even if you even try a little... And then they get like, okay, I guess this isn't going to happen. She was back. She was back again. And Germany lost the First World War. Yeah, they did. And yeah. it was not okay. It was, like, yeah, it I was mean, like hard for them. Like It was hard for yeah, them. Yeah, because we were like, fuck that. And then, you know, a lot of people and then, think that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. We probably should have been so aggressive, you yeah. guys. Uh, even if they were super crazy wrong. I mean, all of that yeah. was happening. But Hannah's like, listen here. I'm going I'm gonna, back. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to college. I'm going back to college. Like the LL Cool J song. Going back to Cali. <laughs> is looking at me like, don't you know, know the that? song? And I'm looking at her like with That's dead eyes. I'm like, going I... back to Cali. Cali. I, I know that Cali. song. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know it well enough to sing it with yeah, you, anyway. but I'm like, yeah. But Hannah's like, I'll get my education. Good for her. Uh, Yeah, right. So, and that year was the year she met. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. You know the art movement mm-hmm. Dada? Dada? Yes. yes Dadaoist? Yes. Yes, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Do yes. you know how to pronounce it? No. Okay, well then we're both in the same boat. Okay. If anyone wants to write in and yell at us. I guess you could yell at me because I'm the one who brought this up. Okay. Uh, yell at Lavetta for other things. Oh, please. Um, I'm used to it. Sure, she's mm. good. She's chill. Um, you may. Yes. Uh, she met the Taoist, Dadaist. I'm so sorry. Artist. I'll keep talking. Raoul Hausman. Okay. So they had an intense and stormy romantic relationship. 
that lasted seven years. Oh. One of the biggest issues between them was that he wouldn't leave his wife to marry her seven years. And he thought her wanting to marry him was a, quote, bourgeois inclination, end quote. Okay, so basically, uh-huh. what's uh-huh. his name? Uh, Raul. Raul is mm. like, baby, baby. Mm. That's, that's so bourgeois. No. Marriage is so bourgeois. Mm. Okay, so uh, why don't you leave so your wife what, and be with me? What, what you having for dinner? Baby, baby. Is someone I making you dinner tonight? Is it, oh, I'm sorry, is it your wife? That is so much game. Like, I mean, and also, what? Hannah, that is why you don't have affairs with married men. Girl, girl, there are other I mean, men in the sea. Even uh, probably the pool was small and couldn't get on a plane. I, I get mean, it, if you still. fall in love and he falls in love with you, then he needs to wrap it up with his wife. Uh huh. Pay alimony, whatever he needs to do, and be with you. I'm so sorry, but I love her. Yeah, right? do it all the Walk time. Away. It's, yeah. it's doable. It's super doable. Yeah, seven years. Seven years. Now, four years in, you'd be like, I know, right? Her? What happened in six years? I don't know. You know? I don't know. Um, it, and it says She's in, love, in one of the things I read that, like, there was some violence. No, I don't know oh. if he to her. I don't know if it was, like, a two-way street. It just said... There was some violence. I always assume it's not the woman hitting the man, but you know. How are you going to make sh- me your side piece and you hit me? I oh, just, no. No, I you mean. You have to die. Hannah, you need. Yeah. Girl, here's a knife. Let I mean, me but show it is you what, what 19, 18. It's like so. 19, like. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 16. A lot of drinking. I feel like a lot, a lot of drinking. A lot of alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Everybody mm. all over the world. It's like the Virginia Wolf, yeah. you know, who gets, they're just so drunk. Yeah, at this they're always point. having co- cocktails. Yeah. And, like, yeah. like that's, that's your ninth drink. It's yeah. the first act. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he also, <laughs> and why'd she stay with his dick? He also disparaged her for her opinions on art. He was basically a complete hypocrite because he had these feminist ideals and no feminist action. Mm. I liked that. I wrote that because that's basically what it was. Mm-hmm. Feminist ideals, but no feminist action. One must take action. Was he a lot older? Feminist. Was he a lot older than her? Probably. I think, yeah. I didn't really say. So he, he was, nagged he, her. No, he, yeah, he was. He yeah. nagged her into a relationship. I mean, right? women's rights, come here, baby. And also because, yeah, he's a lot older. And that's mm-hmm. why you try and, you know, even if you are of age, no R. Kelly's here, thank God. Oh, God. Um, yeah. But like, even if you're like 22 and, and he's, he's 42, 40, like. He's like, yeah, I believe. He knows in, how to manipulate you In a your lot more. power and your strength. Yeah. Let me cup those powerful boobs for you, baby. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And then here we are. So. But this is fun. He inspired her to write a caustic short story in 1920, and this is a couple years in, called The Painter. The subject is an artist who is thrown into an intense spiritual crisis when his wife asks him to do the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, girl, get it. I love these men are like, I'm so important. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to wash dishes. I mean, what What are you talking about? What is a faucet? Oh my God, that'd be hilarious. What is a scrub? That is hilarious. He has a a breakdown because he has to wash the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Women's work, my ass. Um, my poor husband does all the dishes in this house. He's making up for all the men. Yeah, there are some men out there, I'm told. And yeah. I'm, I'm not even sorry. I know. Um, <laughs> it's so sad for him. Um, he was a member of the Berlin Dada movement. Okay. I think I said that right. But she didn't really get involved with the movement until 1917. So I'm going to just real quick 
throughout what the Dada movement okay. was. It was an art movement of the European avant European avant garde in the early twentieth century. The artists rejected the logic, reason, and aestheticism of modern capitalist society. They expressed nonsense, irrationality, and anti-bourgeois protest in their work. It was a reaction to World War One, okay, to a large degree. Um, they were discontent with violence and war and nationalism. Okay, but they were not at all feminist. They definitely okay. thought women had a place. That was what they defined. Defined. So they're um, misogynistic uh, peaceful, hippies. Hi- yeah, misogynistic hippies. Yeah, which okay. you know. That that scans a little. Yeah, that does. That tracks. So, yeah. So between 1916 and 1926, she worked for the magazine and newspaper publishers Ulstein Verlag. Sounds good, right? Yeah, sounds great to me. Sounds legit. I know. I don't know if it is, but I try. Um, She worked in the department dedicated to handicrafts and designed patterns for crochet, knitting, and embroidery. In 1918, she wrote a manifesto of modern embroidery, which encouraged Weimar women, the Weimar Republic, right, to pursue the spirit of their generation and to, quote, develop a feeling, my words, yes, quote, (laughs) develop a feeling for abstract forms through their handiwork. Through their hard, through their handwork. (laughs) I really can't write with a pen. (laughs) Handwork. She was actually pushing women to express themselves, women to be more of a part of society in the creative world, okay. which was very different. Um, that year, it's 1918, she went on a holiday with him, you know, Raul, to Ostsi. Uh, it's a lovely place uh, where she uh, discovered there was a lot of in the verbiage when I looked this up, so later claimed where she later claimed, which I feel like if that's what she claim them that's what happened mm-hmm. i think they're moving dead bodies yeah, above our heads right multiple now coffins yeah but you know i mean you gotta make a living hey, sometimes you I, know listen right now this country is so good so you yeah. know i'm not i'm not here to judge stack that paper they just could be a little quieter about it yeah. that'd be nice um anyway so she she discovered the concept of photo montage that would be fundamental to her art and it's what she is known for oh okay they found images of German soldiers sent home to their families with pictures of their faces pasted, pasted onto the bodies of musketeers. And oh, that's okay. kind of what photo montage does. It gives you that sort of freedom to, to pick yeah. and choose. Yeah. Uh, from this, she discovered the power of collage to alienate images, to give them new meanings when placed in conjunction with new elements and new contexts. Okay. Um, which I like, I got to do, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Like, yeah. it's not at all what I do with my children, right? Right. Um, and uh, then she started making the photo montage images she's best known for around this time. Okay. She was part of the Dada movement, which is she's the from what I read, she's the only woman to have been involved among these innovative group. Um, quote of would-be avant-garde cultural revolutionaries. That's what they thought of themselves. Um, The movement was inherently sexist, however, so her work was exhibited in the first international Dada Fair in Berlin, but before the show's opening, I wrote dickwads, George (laughs) Gross and John Hartfield. I say dickwads because they were dickwads, 
tried to stop her from being included mm-hmm. because she was a woman. That was it. Yeah. Uh, her lover, Raul, threatened to pull his own contributions from the exhibit, and then they let her in. Oh, so Raul actually... Right? He was good instance, for one thing. Isn't that nice? No, Raul probably had it. Yeah. Big penis. He probably was really good with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like skilled. I know. That's, that's yeah. Sucks. Well, you don't have a lot of experience. That's a downfall of us ladies. I know, right? Damn it. Um, so this is a side fun. Mm. Hans, <laughs> Hans Richter was a dadaist. Her, his only memory of her at this uh, fair was the food she provided. In his memoirs, he wrote of the sandwiches, beer, and coffee she managed somehow to conjure up despite the shortage of money. <laughs> what an ass. I just, like, that is like the height of sexism. Like, I only what? remember her with the food that she put uh-huh. in front of me. Exactly. And beer. I like uh, beer. Like, part of it is like, so her work in this period... What she did in her work was equate women's liberation with social and political revolution. And then what this and guy remembers is like, she made a good sandwich. She made a good sandwich. <laughs> wow. There's sugar in here. There's, we were rationing sugar. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What a dick. Oh, that's right. And she was also uncomfortable with the, the, the certain elements of the Dada circle, like exhibitionist. And she was embarrassed by some of the behaviors of her Dada um peers so she broke imagine. she broke up with him in 1922 and then kind of left the dada oh situation. maybe something she saw she's like these fools she's are like, crazy right i just want i want to do art but you guys are i'm out crazy motherfuckers so i'm leaving and but she, but she meanwhile had basically was a huge pioneer of the photo montage like she's wow. she's the one people look at right. like if you google it her name will come up um so uh, it's just some some side notes that her works often depicted same-sex couples oh and she made strong statements on racial discrimination oh um her most famous work is called ready mm-hmm. take a breath okay cut with the kitchen knife dada through the last we I must start again. Okay. I must start again. You can do it. I can do this. It's so long. Cut with the kitchen knife, Dada, through the last Weimar beer belly cultural epoch in Germany. Oh. It was anti-Weimar okay. Republic. Yeah. So, uh, so she makes new friends. Okay. Some friends, Piet Mondrian, Tristan, Zara, Laszlo, Moholy, Nagy, Kurt Schwitters, Nelly Van Dosberg. There's more. Yeah, I'm sure some of our uh, artistic, artiste uh, listeners out there know who those people are. Artist with an E. Yeah. (laughs) So she was influenced by the Distiedel movement, which I think is based on the Netherlands. Oh, okay. She settled in The Hague in the Netherlands in 1926. She started a lesbian relationship with the Dutch writer Till Brueggemann, and they lived together for about ten, nine, ten years. Oh. Um, so after Raoul, she's like, "No more men for me." Yep, she's like, "I can't look at another I feel penis." Sister, Vetta feels you just not as much as she wishes. I know. Uh, <laughs> so in 1929, they moved to Berlin. And then in 1935, they separated. So they never called themselves lesbians, but it's no, back then they didn't. possible they didn't yeah. even know the word. Yeah, they yeah. You know, like they, they called she called it a private love relationship, yeah, which yeah. is basically. I think there was like yeah. a 
clever name, artistic name for those relationships. Um, Good friends. Yeah, yeah. Roommates. Because, you know, we've had famous, uh, famous, famous too, but famous women in history who've had long-term, you know, partnerships with other women. But I forget the name that they call them throughout history, you know. Yeah, because... I mean, I think to some degree, I'm hope women could get away with it a little bit easier. Like, uh, they're just yeah. Like, I mean, I, I feel like even a lot of people in the community, like that's the whole point of gay rights, is that you get to to you can, declare out loud what it is versus yeah, you using versus euphemisms like risking, my friend, <laughs> like, risking horrific or my roommate, right? You know what I mean? You know, like, like, yeah, because yeah. if you didn't, you'd be ostracized, right? Yeah, and sued i yeah. mean you could go to jail yep. that's right because it was illegal yeah which is crazy yeah it is crazy uh in 1935 she started a relationship with kurt matthews so she was definitely bisexual yeah. um she married him in 1938 she divorced him in 1944 she spent the war in berlin keeping a low profile she had been censored by nazis throughout the 30s okay um she her art was deemed degenerate Mm. Um, and it made her more difficult. It made it more difficult to show her work. Mm. Um, I mean, she should have left. But I it's know hard. it's easy to say that For when your family's there. I mean, when your life is yeah. there. Um, yeah. And it, you know, yeah, I can't imagine. Although you know, as far as it's it for me, like as someone who grew up knowing about you know the Holocaust, I'm always fascinated by regular German people who. St- Stayed in Germany. Right? Yeah. Like, like like when we did Sophie Shaw, like I could tell yeah, you were shocked. I you was, were like, what? What, <laughs> like, what? You went to school? Yeah. There was school? Yep. Like that is yep. fascinating, horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little, not inspiring, but like, wow, the world really does go on. But, you it know. It just keeps going on. That's also tragic and but beautiful. But it's also, it's tragic and it's beautiful. Because yeah. you, you wanted to be like, everybody put your shit down and go yeah. fix it. Yeah. You know, but yep. that that's not how life works, I no. guess. So she kept a low profile. Yeah. She probably was she horrified. She basically hid yeah. and was horrified. <clears throat> Uh, after the war, her work was less acclaimed. She did continue to produce photo montages and exhibits. Uh, she exhibited them internationally until she died November 1st, 1978. So now I oh, have she, like... She died in 1978? Yeah, wow. she like lived to like 86. She and I bet you probably time. because everything German after the Second World yeah. War, people were like... People just didn't... I think my family, when I, anything yeah. Any from Germany, German, you're like, mm. we just like didn't. Yeah. Because it was like, you just, just don't do that. Yeah. Um, the Nazis did not like her. See, I found more things. Okay. <laughs> uh, for basically her, her aesthetic and her political messages, but also by the fact that she was this powerful woman. Mm. They, she, and she portrayed endo- androgynous people all over the place. Oh. And they wanted only... Aryan ideals. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, they're like which little... were not Hitler. But by the way, like don't Hitler. don't don't look at pictures of Hitler if you're wondering <laughs> what they're talking about because it was not at all what no. he looks like. But don't you know he was sexy? He wanted yeah. the women to think he I, was single. I mean, that's why he didn't he's like ladies. <laughs> he's like I know you want some of this, and then ladies, ladies were like, what? <laughs> what? What's up, Hitler? Hey. <laughs> well, I got to go to the store to be a woman. Oh, and God. feed my family. Goodbye. Um, so in 
So about her photo montages, I want to talk a little bit, just like a little. She was she was so rare and she had such an interesting eye and it like it was something she created in my mind almost out of thin air, which is why I'm, yeah. I'm sort of fascinated with her. Some person, I, Mark Holm, quote him, they display the chaos and combustion of Berlin's visual culture from a particularly female perspective. Mm. And because she, because no women weren't artists yeah. out loud. Right. They were. Right. They definitely right. were. They're like her mom. Yeah. You um, know? But I also think her mom being a quote unquote amateur painter probably inspired her, you know? I think so. I think so. And, and she was very, she was also, she was conscious that she was promoting the idea that women should be creative. Yeah. Um, and she addressed that in her work. Um, what else did I want to say about her? Uh, and she also, Oh yeah, this. Okay. So this is the most interesting thing. And then I'll stop talking about her. Oh no. Um, her, Another very famous piece she did was called the Froman Ethnographic Museum in 1929. It was her most ambition and ambitious and highly political project. It was a composition of 20 photo montages depicting images of European female bodies with images of African male bodies and masks from museum catalogs. Uh, that was she a was, no no back then. Right? Wow. She, in 1929. Wow. Putting together very different civilizations as interchangeable, mm-hmm. like she was very she she spoke up about this shit yeah. well before it would have like now you know I feel like there's plenty of that yeah, happening because yeah, yeah. that's very provocative. But it's very provocative, and this is this is before World War Two. This is yeah. like 1929. Wow. So I mean, I, I could go. I could have. I almost did like a two. Yeah. But wow. I was like, it wasn't quite enough. Uh, but I'm sure. I'm sure I could have found more and more. She's Hannah amazing. Hoch. Hannah Hoch. 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 That's great. Thank you. I've never heard of, I think, and I you. feel like I've heard of Hoch. 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 I think anyone who studied like <laughs> art literature. Yeah. Maybe, totally. Perhaps. is like, duh. I know. Because <laughs> they're like probably screaming at. Uh, yeah, they're screaming yeah, at their, yeah. in their oh, cars right fans. now. Thank you so much for sharing You're that. Super you always bring the most interesting and like, unexpected women i try you know, like because i mean yeah. that's part of what we try and do not yeah. only like highlight the lives of women that we've all probably heard a little bit about right. but like women that we've never heard about i so. love the idea and i think it comes from like my sort of na- narrow view upbringing uh-huh. nobody's fault i love you mom um, <laughs> it was the 80s what are you gonna do um that you know there were a few women that were outstanding right right, right. gold in my ear yeah right. yeah but but in general, this is how the world has always been. Right. And I love digging and finding that actually, actually, no. No, these women are still out there living yeah. their lives. They, yeah. They, they, we've been around for, for, for hundreds of years, you know, yep. like, and I think it's. And not just cleaning house and cooking, even right? though that's very important. It is very important. Yeah. So, well, thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. So mine is part two. Part two. Of Coretta Scott King I'm from so last excited. week. Um, and it gave me a little bit more time to kind of, you know, put in a narrative because there's so much about her like we won't even touch we won't cover nearly all of you it you could so. possibly do a three I know. or four parter yeah she's so yeah. it's so much she's like yeah so 
Um, for those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode, pause and go back and listen to last yeah. week's episode <laughs> of Coretta Scott King, part one. So part two. So when we left off last week, we talked about how she grew up um, and she had gone to college and then she went to grad school and she met Martin Luther mm-hmm. King Jr. And how his family is like, are you good enough yeah. for our son? And, you and, know, and Lavette and I were like, are you good enough for a Coretta? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, um, but then, you know, they dated and, um, and also I want to reiterate that she, by all accounts, was definitely a lot more quote unquote radical than Martin, you know, in her yeah. thinking when they met. Um, and, and I was thinking about that cause I think it might be the class issue, like, you know, um, and also her grandfather being like, I could pass for white, but fuck that. <laughs> like, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, I'm you know, gangsta. That's like, that's, <laughs> that is shocking. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like. Yeah. No, I know a it, lot of black people who could have passed for white who are like, fuck that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, from like a white perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all just like, oh, just pass for white. It's easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, from a. Yeah, from a black person's yeah. Right, and also too, like I've been in positions before where it's like, just don't talk about this one part of your life. For yeah, Jewish people know that very well because if you can quote unquote pass, I can't. I can't. And I've been in positions where I'm like, it's so much easier if I don't mention that I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like, well. What are you doing for the world yeah, if you yeah, yeah. you yeah. want to hide? No, yeah. I'm Jewish. Yeah. Okay, let's have this conversation. Yeah. Don't have horns. Nope. We're just I like ask people. You, actually, yeah. have you ever disclosed that and then had like a really negative reaction yeah. from the person? Um. Yes, I have. But sometimes the reaction is just—it's so weird. It puts me in an uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. Like I've been in parts of America that don't uh, never met a Jew before. So I've been their first Jew. And um, there's a lot of anti-Semitism. Fun fact. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I know you you didn't know. So I'm going to tell you. No, no, Um, I did know when I was coming up and I was like, you know, my uh, best guy friend in high school is Jewish. And like, I I mean, because again, I, as a black person, I think only maybe if you grew up in certain parts of New York City or like where there's the Hasidim community or whatever. But most black people, I kid you not, like, we're like, we can't tell Jewish people apart from non-Jewish people. I have, I I can't, like. I have a black friend, okay. Yeah, I can't. like, for years was just like, well, I don't understand. Like, we didn't really talk about it. Yeah, yeah, But he was just all in his head. Yeah. Like, they're all just white. And then I was taking, uh, at some point, I was taking this Yiddish class because I was working with a Yiddish theater, and he came to visit, and I said, I have this Yiddish class. It's only an hour. You're welcome to, like, come and sit in. And he's yeah. always, like, he loves that stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, because it's he, like, ooh, he, I and he's like in someone who, yeah. like, loves to learn random new yeah. things. So he'd be like, eh. So I was like, you'll enjoy it. So he came, and he's sitting around. He's like, what's that word? What's that word? Made me far more interested in the subject matter than I had been previously. Um, and then afterwards, he was like, oh, my God you're a race and I was like huh who let's go get dinner and he was like I I thought white people were just there but no it's like I was looking around yeah you're one people I'm like yeah we are um we intermarry a lot so that's what happens yeah and also I think because like yeah like to us like 
if you are not if you are not exposed to a lot of Jewish people as a group, right? You definitely don't see because he was like, just exposed to yeah, me, and yeah. I fit right in. You and know? I, I've like, known, I'm, I'm just white walking down the street. Like some know? of my Jewish friends are like blonde, yeah, like, sure. And yeah. then some, and they're like, yeah, I'm Jewish. I was like, oh, I didn't know. And then some have darker hair, which you would think. Or look more Israeli, you know, yes, like yes, um, which is like, like what half my family looks like, right? But yeah. I didn't. I mean, we don't know. So it's just it's just very interesting that when you talk about Black people throughout history in this country, especially who could have passed for white, because yeah. let's face it, their lives would have been a lot easier. And so yeah, for her fa- grandfather to be like, fuck that. Yeah. And I'm going to marry another Black person mm-hmm. to make sure that my which, kids. I love that. Yeah. Because so that's. Yes. But I, th- I think that it really, like, when she met Martin, she, you know, she's like, oh, I kind of like him. He reminds me of her dad, is what she yeah. said on the last episode. But I think once they married, she decided to not pursue a singing career, and they got married, and they settled into matrimony. But then they settled in the middle of the Montgomery bus boycott. And so then she was like, because of the, the death threats and, yeah. you know, and all of that, she was like, fuck this. Like her grandfather's yep. like spirit is like in her. So that's her grandfather's um, baby. That's her. Yep. She's her granddaddy's baby. So, so when we left off, the Montgomery bus boycott had concluded mm-hmm. uh, on December 20th, 1956. And two days after the integration of the Montgomery bus uh, uh, service, on December 23rd, a gunshot rang through the front door of their yeah. home while she, uh, Martin, and their young baby, Yolanda, were asleep. Ugh. But no surprise, the three were not harmed. Right, okay. we know this. So um, now less than a month later on January 10th, 1957, following uh, the Montgomery bus boycott, victory and consultations with, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, I think it's Bayard, Bayard Rustin, Ella Baker, and Bayard, others, yeah. I think it's Bayard, Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. invited 60 black ministers and leaders to Ebenezer Church in Atlanta. Prior to this, Bayard Rustin in New York City conceived of the idea of initiating such an effort and first sought C.K. Steele to make the call and take the lead role. So they were thinking about, you know, they were successful in Montgomery. So they were like, how can we turn this and keep the momentum going to help black people? Um, so Steele declined, uh, Bayard approached, uh, CK Steele, but he declined, but told Rustin he would be glad to work right beside him if he sought out Martin in Montgomery for the role. So their goal was to form an organization to coordinate and support nonviolent direct action as a method of desegregating bus systems across the South. Yes. It's a concerted effort. So they, so they do the, uh, Montgomery bus boycott. Over it takes a year to be successful. It they just, integrated just, it. I just it's so, so they're unbelievable like, to me that it took a year. Okay, I know. So on. let's let let's like take this and implement this all over the country, yeah. right? Um, so, um, so in addition to Martin Rustin, uh, Ella Baker, and C.K. Steele, Fred Shuttleworth of Birmingham, Joseph Lowry of Mo, uh, Mobile, and Ralph Abernathy of Montgomery. All of them, all of whom played key roles in the meeting. On February 15th, a follow-up meeting was held in New Orleans. Out of these two meetings came a new organization with Martin as its president, initially called the Negro Leaders Conference on Nonviolent Integration. Then Southern Negro Leaders Conference, the group eventually chose the Southern Negro Leaders, no, the Southern Christian Leadership yeah. Conference, the, the SCLC. SCC. Yes as its name and expanded its focus beyond buses to ending all forms of segregation. Yes. A small office was established in Prince in the Prince Hall 
uh, Masonic Temple building on Auburn Avenue in Atlanta with Ella Baker as SCLC's only uh, first and only longtime staff member. We're going to have to do a, a, a thing just, on I'm Ella. I'm like writing this down. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. So we're definitely going to have to do, a, yeah. a, she gets her own um, uh, episode. So definitely. now fully committed to helping black people fight segregation in this concrete way, Coretta and Martin turned their focus fully to the cause. Later that year on October 23rd, 1957, the couple welcomed their second child, Martin III. So all of this is going on, and they're still having she's babies. Like having get pregnancy, yeah. nausea in the mornings, yep. and then she's waddling around, and then she's saving the world. Yeah. I mean, but I could see knowing what we know about Coretta and her spirit, and being like, "Yes, I want to help my people." Like she's all, she's down. Like yeah. So uh, during its early she's years, she's like, "Hold my bear." I know. Like, she's just, <laughs> Hold the baby formula. <laughs> Hold the baby. So, um, and during, the formula. And I the formula. During, and back hero. then, they used to have to uh, heat it up. I know. In the, on every the stove. Time. Yeah, Men that's it, right. Eat every 40 seconds. Yep. Jesus. Uh, during the early years, the, S, uh, the SCLC struggled to gain footholds in black churches and communities across the South. Social activism in favor of racial equality faced fierce repression. From police, yeah. white citizens council, mm. and the Ku Klux Klan. Interesting. Only a few churches had the courage to defy the white dominated status quo by affiliating with the SELC. And those that did risked economic retaliation against pastors and other church leaders, arson and bombings. So black people yeah. are like, uh, that's not good, but uh I don't want my house to be burned down. Yeah, I mean or my I, church. I honestly like Yeah. I get it. Because the white citizens council and the KKK are terrorist organizations. So they are. Yeah. Can we say that again? Yeah. They they're, are terrorist organizations. Yeah. yeah. They're terrorists. So, uh, domestic terrorists. Somehow we found a way to make it legal in this country, Yeah, but it's yeah. a terrorist organization. Yeah. Though mostly happy as a wife and mother, Coretta still longed to express her talents and service to both of her passions, music and activism. She conceived and performed a series of favorably reviewed freedom concerts, which combine prose and poetry narration with musical selections and function as a significant fundraiser for the SCLC, which included the story of the Montgomery bus boycott. Oh, wow. So she's like, let me put in my talent. Yeah, girl. You know, and she's beautiful and elegant and graceful. And yeah. So the concert gave the audience, quote, an emotional connection to the messages of social, economic and spiritual transformation, end quote. So they can viscerally yeah, have a yeah, reaction yeah. to what they're trying That's to do. That's smart. In 1957, she and Martin journeyed to Ghana to mark that country's independence. In okay. 1958, they spent a belated honeymoon in Mexico where they observed firsthand the immense gulf between extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Did they take their children with them um, to Ghana and to Mexico? You know, I don't know. I would imagine it depends on how old they are, if they could travel back then. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm just trying on, to figure out what I can yeah, take my I know, what, I know. What do you do? On September 3rd, 1958, Coretta accompanied Martin and Ralph Abernathy to a, a courthouse. Now, now, just for context, so they're in the middle of it. He's like the figurehead of this budding civil rights movement. Young, right. handsome couple. So everywhere Martin went or they went together, it, he was a target. Like, he was a target of the people who don't want change to come. I so, mean, that just sounds terrifying. It's, yeah, it sounds me. terrifying. Like, these people are so brave. So Martin was arrested outside the courtroom for, quote, loitering and failing to obey an officer. Okay. Yeah. A few weeks later, she visited Martin's parents in Atlanta and learned that he had been stabbed while signing a book 
signing copies of his book, Stride Toward Freedom, on September 20th, 1958. So Jesus. every time he leaves the house, she She's has to like, be worried. She's got to be petrified. Yeah. A loving wife, she rushed to see him and stayed with him for the remainder of his time in the hospital. The following year in 1959, she, Martin, and Lawrence Reddick started a five-week pilgrimage of India to disciples and sites associated with Mahatma Gandhi. Uh-huh. The three were invited to hundreds of engagements. During their trip, Coretta used her singing ability to enthuse uh, crowds during their month-long stay. Now, once again, were there children with them? Mm, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't even look into that, but I'm assuming that the kids were probably with grandma <laughs> the, and grandpa. This is where my brain goes, but yeah. Because <laughs> back then, you know, you... Grandma and grandpa. Yeah, grandma's like, I it's got this. Fine. Yeah, Give me the baby. Uh, and we could tell that the Martin, uh, the kings were definitely... Uh, 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 known presence. Let's just say that they had strong personalities, both yeah. the, the the mother and the <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Coretta was like yeah. dinner again. Yes, yeah. fine, sure. Let's like come yeah. on in. But then yeah. when they have to go on these trips, Grandma's like, "Don't worry, I got this." Right, yeah. you Thank wins, God for Grandma. Win some, you lose. Yeah. Some, right? uh, so um, so while in India, Martin began to learn and become intimately acquainted with the nonviolent teachings of Mahatma Gandhi, which he'd only read about and studied in college. But now up close, he was able to really explore its practical uses for resistance. Throughout their marriage, Coretta appeared side by side with Martin fighting against injustice and openly criticized the movement's exclusion of women. Yes. On October 19, 1960, Martin was arrested for picketing in a department store. Oh my God, you guys. After being released three days later, he was sent back to jail on October 22nd for driving with an Alabama license while being a resident of Georgia and was sent to jail for four months of hard labor. You're fucking shitting me. No. After her husband's arrest, you Coretta- You I'm starting to think that this country was racist. <laughs> you think? <laughs> After her husband's arrest, Coretta believed he would not make it out alive and telephoned Jesus. for her friend, Harris Woodford, who, con who contacted Sergeant Sh uh, Shriver in Chicago, where a presidential candidate, JFK, was ca campaigning at the time and told Shriver of Coretta's fears for her husband. Okay. After Shriver waited to be with Kennedy alone, he suggested that he telephone Coretta and express sympathy. Kennedy, JFK, called mm -hmm. Coretta after agreeing to the proposal. According to Coretta, JFK said, quote, I want to express my concern about your husband. I know this must be very hard on you. I understand you're expecting a baby and she's pregnant. What? And I just want you to know that I was thinking about you and Dr. King. If there's anything I can do to help, please feel free to call on me, end quote. So Kennedy's contact with, um, with Coretta was learned quickly by reporters. Uh, and Coretta later admitted that, quote, it made me feel good that he called me personally yeah. and let me know how he felt, end quote. Sometime afterward, Bobby Kennedy obtained uh, Martin's release from prison. Oh, so it's good, good to have friends yeah. in high places. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Martin, White male friends in yes, high places, yes. especially. Now, Martin Luther King Sr. was so grateful for the release that he voted for Kennedy and said, quote, I'll take a Catholic or the devil himself if he'll wipe the tears from my granddaughter-in-law's eyes, Aww. end quote. On January 30th, 1961, the couple welcomed their third child, Dexter. Oh, my God. In December of that you year, Coretta... You just keep going. You just keep going, Mom. I know. In December of that year, so... Um, uh, that same year, Coretta Martin and the SC, the SCLC became involved in the, Alb the Albany movement, a movement conceived in Albany, in Albany, Georgia, that sought to mobilize thousands of citizens for a broad front nonviolent attack on every aspect of segregation within the city and attracted nationwide attention. 
During Kennedy's presidency, she and her husband had come to respect him and understood his reluctance at times to get involved openly with civil rights in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, she understood that it was strategic yeah. in its politics. So in April of 1962, Coretta served as a delegate for the Women's Strike for Peace Conference in Geneva, Switzerland. On March 28, 1963, she gave birth to their fourth child, because Bernice. She's just going and going. Yeah, she's a better woman than me. Now, for a hundred percent, this is a whole most yeah. people. I this think. is a whole another section on the FBI. Okay, oh so yeah. the FBI's mobile Mobile, Alabama branch first put Martin under surveillance in December of 1955, mm-hmm. all the way back then. Because definitely nothing better to wo- focus yeah. on right now. Uh, after, definitely not a Korea War yeah. happening. Yeah. They after uh, because of uh, Montgomery bus boycott, so 1955, right? right? It I mean, wasn't he's until... dangerous because he integrated the whites and the blacks. Yeah, because he stood up. Yeah, right. for, yeah. That's terrible. Now that's 1955. Uh-huh. It wasn't until 1963 when Attorney General Robert Kennedy approved wiretapping Martin's phones that the government ramped up its campaign against the civil rights activists. Wait, really? Yeah. Why did he approve that? He and I. Yeah, I'm getting to that. So. Okay. After, so Montgomery bus boycott, um, J. Edgar Hoover's like, this, this little colored boy, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he talked like that. I don't think he did. You know but what? I'm going to go with it. He did. I No, I think I he think actually you're... is from the North. I think J. Edgar Hoover's a Northerner. A Yankee. Uh, so I think he was uh, <laughs> like, this colored boy, I don't, I don't know. Um, horrible accent. But Either way, he, he was very racist. But he became very, he, he became obsessed because remember, they were trying to attach the Red Scare and communism to anybody who wanted equality. Yep. Right? Yep. So they were trying to burn people with that. In 1955, we were in the, the midst of the Red Scare, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so J. Edgar Hoover became obsessed with Martin Luther King and he had him under surveillance, but it wasn't until 1963 that Robert Kennedy signed the order that it was open. He was openly, they, were, they, they ramped it up even more, but they had already been, uh, had him under surveillance. Okay, okay. I'm just wondering Because remember, why. J. Edgar Hoover ran the FBI the way he wanted what? to run no, the FBI. No, he was super yeah. burning in many circles of hell right now. But yeah. uh, I'll yeah. say it again. So he was uh-huh. afraid of him. And so now after the I Have a Dream speech in August of that year, an FBI memo, release memo, described him as, quote, the most dangerous and effective Negro leader in the country, end quote. Dangerous, huh? Yeah. Now, Robert Kennedy... Peaceful peaceful protest is dangerous, yeah. huh? Yep. Okay. Um, people kneeling is dangerous. Oh, apparently. Yeah. Very dangerous. Uh, Robert Kennedy was concerned that public allegations of communists in the SCLC would derail the administration's own civil rights initiatives. So J. Edgar Hoover's okay. like, civil rights, communists. And so he was conflating he was the like, two. Yeah, well, because he doesn't yeah. like people that aren't yeah. white men. Yeah. So Christian now men. Robert Kennedy A specific warned... kind of Christian man. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll stop. So Robert Kennedy even warned Martin to discontinue his associations uh, with so-called communist elements, right? And later felt compelled to issue the written direct the, the written directive uh, that authorized the FBI wiretaps of, of Martin and other SC, uh, C, uh, SCLC leaders. Okay. So, now, FBI, uh, so Director J. Edgar Hoover feared that the civil rights movement um, and the investigative allegations of communist infiltration. When no evidence ever emerged to support this, okay. the FBI used the incidental details caught on tape over the next five years in an attempt to force Martin out of his leadership position 
in the COINTEL Pro program. Mm. In the end, though, the FBI's memos and recordings succeeded only in embarrassing the Bureau. So this is what these fuckers tried to do. Giggle. Right? Okay. So side note, when they couldn't dig up any communist stuff, like right. they started listening to him and they, he was just, if, if anything, he is heard saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a communist. Like, right. Yeah. Like I absolutely not, am not. not a communist. I just yeah. want equal rights. Yeah. For my people. So, yeah. um, they, for all Americans, right? Yeah. So they decided to throw him off his game, Martin off his game by delivering recordings of him talking with various other women. Yep. Heard about so, this. So, because he was a cat daddy, apparently, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Martin. And it's so interesting because they said what they also found in his recordings is that he often, um, doubted himself. Uh, he often struggled with that. And I, I have a theory, men who are serial uh, cheaters yeah, tend to have was. very low self-esteem. I, yeah. They're always no, trying to find they're validation. Try, they're trying to get val- validation. Yeah, I, I, that's my theory. And I also think because he had a rocky relationship, not on the surface, he, but he, again, is the golden child of his family. Mm-hmm. And his father was did not suffer fools um, easily. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think a lot of that played into it. It's not to make excuses, because honestly, I would have stabbed Martin several several <laughs> times. Uh, Coretta is a much better she's woman than saint. I am. No, yeah, she's a fucking no, saint. She's much so, better than we are. So they send her, so they're reco- it's all these recordings, yeah. right? They send recordings, some of the recordings, uh, along with a letter purportedly from of his or from one of his um, uh, congregation members, a woman, okay. saying that she's felt betrayed, da da da, that he has used her in this way, and it also suggested that he kill himself. Oh my god! This is a very famous letter. On so on November twenty first. 1964, they sent this letter to the house because they had been listening in. So they knew he was out of town and they knew that Coretta opened the mail because she ran the house basically when he wasn't there. So they purposefully sent the recordings, the tapes, because they knew she would listen to them. So what did, what did she do? So, um, so obviously hurt and perhaps angry and wanted to stab somebody. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. Coretta, uh, turned over the materials to Andrew Young at first and then other leaders, uh, from the SELC. Um, from the SCLC, yeah. She also called Martin and talked to him the way a wife would talk to her, her hey, husband if she received so a package like that. something in the mail. And apparently the FBI were just giddy, giddy, giddy. And she was just, yeah. What fucking dickwads. Dickheads, right? Like, that's a that's a circle in hell. And so, there, there. yeah. So she, yeah, she, again, she is a saint. Coretta Scott King is a saint. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, um, <laughs> I put here, I'm sure she got in that ass. Uh, mm. privately, mm. but publicly, um, ever the graceful beacon of light of the movement that she was, she simply said of the tape, quote, I couldn't make much out of it. It was just a lot of mumbo jumbo, end quote. Nice. Yeah. Now, so in April of 1963, because we can't have a story about Coretta Scott King without addressing you these know, really allegations. When, when, growing up, when I was like a, you know, early teenager, mm-hmm. even like since I was about 10 or 11, uh, I used to tell people that I had three heroes. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the third. <laughs> um, I'll let you know. You know, and and I used that that used to be my thing. That was like my thing. It was mm-hmm. part of who I was. You mm-hmm. know, and um, little socialist Miriam, as my mother would say. Um, I didn't even know what that meant, but I remember at some point, it was my brother or someone was like, "Do you know he cheated on his wife?" Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was one of those like, but. 
And then I remember, like, because, I mean, I have books, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah. on him, his yeah. biography and, and quotes, books of all his quotes. And um, and I remember just being, like, not everyone's perfect. Like, having yeah. to, like, take that in yeah. and say, like, but I, I'm, he's still a hero. Like, I, yeah. he's, he's flawed. Yeah. And, and that is an immense flaw. And I wouldn't set him up with a friend of mine. I love how conservatives love to throw that around. Like yeah. everybody was Ronald Reagan, who was by all accounts was very faithful to Nancy. Yeah. But uh, you uh, guys also have Newt Gingrich. So, yeah. uh, so like, I'm going to leave it at hey, there. Hey, okay. Hey, we could look at our <laughs> current president. Well, uh, well uh, <laughs> right. that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. We won't get political, but, but, but I did want to bring that up because it is part of her story. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, because she was married to him. She was, uh, by all accounts, in love with him. She thought they were well-matched. Um, and, you know, I, as a woman, I would imagine this is incredibly painful to hear, yeah. to not only know about it, but to hear it. Those to fuckers. Be, to be part of a conspiracy, yeah. a public conspiracy, yep. that that's how you found out. Yeah. Not your best friends know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole world knows. Yeah, or you saw a lipstick on the collar or, you know right. what I mean? Right, like, and then yeah. you have a conversation, and then you realize, and then you can figure it out. Yeah. But no, you're in the center of the world yeah. right now. And they also, the FBI... They not only uh, bug their phones, they, when they were out of the house, they snuck in and put in listening devices in their homes. What fucking oh, yeah. dick so, yeah. Jesus Christ. Now, moving on. So in Ass April hats. of 1963, the uh, SCLC began a campaign against racial, racial segregation and economic injustice in Birmingham, uh, which in Birmingham, Alabama, which used nonviolent but intentionally confrontational tactics where black people in Birmingham organizing with the SCLC occupied public spaces with marches with marches and sit-ins openly violating laws that they considered unjust Jim Crow laws yeah, yeah, so this yeah. is where the young people came down from colleges yeah uh, black and white uh, young people came down and risked their lives to engage in these kinds of sit-ins right uh, on and what I love about the SCLC is that they would go around the different communities and help the people in that community. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, I think that's so great. Yeah. Like, that's what we forget. So uh, now on August 28th, 1963, the March on Washington, an event designed to raise awareness and advocacy for the civil and economic rights of African-Americans was held at the Lincoln Memorial. Regarding the March on Washington, Coretta said, quote, it was as though heaven had come down, end quote. Aww. On November 22nd, Coretta spoke at a women's strike for peace. I love how she's all about the ladies her yes. whole life. Uh, meeting held in the National Baptist Church, then joined the march from Central Park to the United the UN headquarters. And then the march was time to celebrate the group's second anniversary and celebrated the successful completion of the limited nuclear test ban treaty. Coretta and Martin learned of JFK's assassination when reports initially indicated he had only been seriously wounded. She joined uh, uh, Martin upstairs at the uh, hotel and watched Walter Cronkite announce the president's death. She sat with him busy with her visibly shaken husband following the confirmation of the assassination and the widespread coverage in the aftermath. Throughout civil rights, uh, throughout several civil rights campaigns that included St. Augustine, Florida, Selma, Alabama, they they made a whole movie about it, uh, New York, and many, many more, Martin was often away while Coretta was not only doing the work of an activist, but she was also maintaining the household uh, while being terrified that Martin would not return from one of these trips. But there were some nice trips too, like to India and Mexico, but... 
She also, uh, in 1964, they went to Oslo, Norway, where he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Nice. Now, with Kennedy buried and Johnson now in the White House, yeah. Coretta, the, the work that Coretta and Martin continue uh, to do was towards the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So yes. they're really trying to get this done. So there's this legislation, but then you have to vote on it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to get people to vote on it, which means you have to put pressure back home on Congress people to mm-hmm. vote for it. So many, many women and men worked tirelessly towards this, as well as Coretta and Martin. Uh, most prominently, perhaps, um, they worked hard to sway public opinion to get it passed in Congress. And that's why they wanted the cameras to come out and catch yes. the off- uh, catch police attacking nonviolent mm. groups of, of uh, protesters. So uh, now, um, I really when- wonder if it really took the media age. It did. Yeah. Like that nothing would ever have changed yeah. because people want to believe what they believe. Yeah. And and the the fact is like your human brain probably cannot fathom that. Kind, most people, right? Yeah. Except for the douche bucket police officers yeah. that are attacking people who are just sitting. But think about those images when you think of civil rights movement in your head. The water hoses, the dogs, yeah. the beating people. That was all orchestrated by groups like the SELC, working along with local groups, a lot of young people coming down from the north, uh, from the west, like participating in this. It really did take everybody a lot everyone it took everybody to come together and be like this is not the country we want this is not the world we want that's why we have to help each other yeah um so uh so yeah so so they their job was to sway public opinion right so she spoke with Malcolm X, one of my favorites, uh, days before his assassination in February 1965. Malcolm told her that he was in town in Alabama not to make trouble for Martin, but instead to make white people have more appreciation for Martin's nonviolent yes. protests, seeing him <laughs> as the alternative. Right? That's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of how I, at the very least, that's how they educate people yeah. about it. Now he was nonviolent and he was yeah. a little bit violent yeah and, right? and what malcolm was like well if you put your hand on me i'm gonna shoot you yeah but that's like that's the difference whereas martin was, martin like, was like if you put your hand on me yeah. i'm gonna sit down yeah we're gonna sit down or i'm just gonna i mean they had different tactics and, yeah. and i it's also say tactics. and now Mal- yeah. and malcolm grew up in the north which is very different than the yeah. southern experience northerns like to be like we're not racist uh mm, you know but you are you and just have don't my- have a sign on your door you're yeah. just following them yeah. making them uncomfortable so they don't come back and the, the thing what, why Malcolm X is one of my favorite people is because he realized that the form of Islam that he was being taught was racist and so yeah. when he went on his his uh, his Hajj to Mecca yeah. he saw Muslims of all different shades yeah. and then he was like oh well maybe maybe this is not quite because actually Islam teaches, uh, teaches peace just like Christianity theoretically teaches peace. Theoretically. Uh, do people follow it? Not always. No. So that's why I love about him because he was like, oh, I'm an era. I can, I'm man enough to change my mind. So, and Which, that is why yeah. he was then on the outs with the Nation of Islam. So, oh. oh yeah, people don't, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know any of this. Oh yeah, that's why they, he was, he was like excommunicated from the Nation of Islam. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he, that's why Malcolm is one of my favorite, favorite. And also because you need the two, you yeah. know. And then you have Stokely Carmichael was like, fuck that. Black supremacy, separatist. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. so, so the white people are like, Martin Luther King is not I, so bad. Martin is such a nice boy. He's a nice man, yeah. Dr. King. So, um, but I love how and he met with doctor. Coretta. Well, then. Yeah, I know. I love how he met with Coretta, though, because, you know. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like that, 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 that. 
that yeah. tracks for yeah, me. Yeah, that tracks. So now during her life, Coretta Scott King lamented how she she too often was seen but not heard, admired but not considered in her substance. Um, quote: I am made to sound like an attachment to a vacuum cleaner. She explained, oh. the wife of Martin, the widow of Martin, all of which I was proud to be, but I was never just a wife nor a widow. I was always more than a label. End quote. She said this in um, a Time magazine piece in 1964 uh, when Martin was chosen as the man of the year. Yeah. Uh, and she was referred to only as, quote, a talented young soprano, despite her many personal accomplishments. Wow. Yeah. That's how, you know, you you reduce women to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Coretta Scott King criticized the sexism. She's always at the forefront, like the mm-hmm. women got to be more out there. Da, 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 da. Uh, of the movement. And in a speech in Lady Magazine uh, interview in 1966, she said, saying in part, quote, not enough attention has been focused on the roles played by women in the struggle. By and large, men have formed their leadership in the civil rights struggle, but women have been the backbone of the whole civil rights movement, end quote. Now, Martin Luther King Jr., a man of his time himself, limited Coretta's role in the movement and expected her to be a nice housewife. Mm-hmm. Even though she was glad to contribute in whatever way she could uh, she could to the cause of equality for all, she would prove to be much more than a pretty face. In, ni- in January 1968, she participated in another uh, women's strike for peace in Washington, D.C. with over 5,000 women, in honor of the first woman elected to the House of Representatives. The group was wow. called the, uh, the Jeanette Rankin Brigade. Coretta co-chaired the Congress of Women Conference with Pearl Willen and Mary Clark. She was slowly becoming a leader in her own right, a skill which would, which she would need to depend on very soon. On April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. <sighs> Coretta learned of the shooting after being called by Jesse Jackson when she returned from shopping with their eldest child, Yolanda. Reportedly, she struggled to figure out the best way to break the horrible news to the children. Yeah. But in the end, she did so with tenderness and grace. After the horrible news, she received, she received a large number of telegrams, including one from Lee Harvey Oswald's mother. No shit. Which she regarded as the one that touched her the most. Wow. Mother to mother, you know? Yeah. After Martin's death, Coretta began to carve out her own legacy while continuing the work that she, Martin, and so many others had begun since that time back in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. In the many years following, she continued to support several issues, marching in a labor strike only a labor strike only days after the funeral. Wow. She openly expressed disdain for the Vietnam War, an action that placed her under FBI surveillance of for several years. She also supported several women's rights causes. To keep the activism that she and Martin worked so hard for, she she founded the Atlanta-based Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change as a living memorial to her husband's life and dream. Nice. Situated in the Freedom Hall complex encircling Dr. King's tomb, the King Center is today located inside of a 23-acre National Historic Park, which includes his birth home and which hosts over 1 million visitors a year. Good. Coretta Scott King carried the message of nonviolence and the dream of the beloved community to almost every corner of our nation and globe. Every year after the assassination of her husband in 1968, she would attend a commemorative service at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta to mark his birthday on January 15th. She fought for years to make his birthday a national holiday. In 1972, she said that there should be at least one national holiday a year in tribute to an African-American man, Mm -hmm. quote, and at this point, Martin is the best candidate we have, end quote. So she started that whole process back then. 
Uh, she had, Am I she, yelling? I think I'm no. yelling. She led goodwill missions to many countries in Africa, Latin America, Europe, and Asia. She spoke at many of history's most massive peace and justice rallies. She was the first woman to deliver the class day address at Harvard and the first woman to really? preach at a statuary service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Oh. In 1969, Coretta was awarded the Universal Love Award, becoming the first non-Italian to hold the distinction. The same year, that same year, she published her memoirs entitled My Life with Martin Luther King Jr. Also, I need to read that book. I know, right? I've read all of Martin Luther King's books. I That's need right, to read That's right. You got to read Coretta's. Book. Also, as a lifelong advocate of interracial coalitions, in 1974, she formed a broad coalition of over 100 religious, labor, business, civil, and women's rights organizations dedicated to a national policy of full employment and equal economic opportunity. As co-chair of both the National Committee for Full Employment and the Full Employment Action Council, more progressive than most at her time uh, in her thinking, Coretta Scott King was an early supporter in the struggle for gay and lesbian civil rights. Yes. In August 1983, in December, in Washington, D.C., she urged the amendment of the Civil Rights Act to include gays and lesbians as a protected class. In response to the Supreme Court's 1986 decision in Bowers versus Hardwick that there was no constitutional right to engage in consensual sodomy, her longtime yes. friend, Winston Johnson of Atlanta, came out to her and was instrumental in arranging her as the featured speaker at the September 27, 1986 New York Gala of the Human Rights Campaign Fund. As reported in, in the New York Native, Coretta stated that she was there to express her solidarity with the gay and lesbian movement. She applauded gays and lesbians as, ha as having, quote, always been a part of the civil rights movement. Yes, quote. yes. On April, because Bayard um, uh, was, was openly gay. Oh. Yeah, he was. And he... He had a lot of resistance within the the the, uh, the movement, but he knew that. Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna. We have one common goal, you know. But he, yeah, he's a fascinating man. I've actually heard uh, a couple um, podcast episodes about him, but oh, really? yeah, and I think maybe her relationship with him also, because she saw that he's like, just as dedicated is... as anybody else. Yeah, so, and... but you need to say it. You need to say need I'm to... gay and lesbian. This is who I am. You don't need to hide it. Right, right, right. Because there's power in not hiding. Because when you hide it, you give everyone else the power. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. she, but she came out and said it. They've always been part of the civil rights movement. You go on, Coretta. I love yeah. her. I'm almost finished here now. On April 1st, 1998, at the Palmer House Hilton in Chicago, she called on the civil rights community to join in the struggle against homophobia yes. and anti-gay bias. Quote, homophobia is like racism and anti-Semitism and other mm -hmm. forms of bigotry yeah. in that it seeks to dehumanize a large group of people to deny their humanity, yep. their dignity, and personhood, end quote. Quote, and then she goes on to say, this sets the stage for further repression and violence that spread all too easily to victimize the next minority group. Yes. End quote. I love her. She's amazing, right? She's the best. Yeah. Coretta worked tirelessly on protecting and advancing her husband's legacy. Her hard work eventually materialized in a federal holiday in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which was signed into law in 1983 and observed finally in 1986. Real, it's so funny because I'm like, it's always been there. Yeah, I know. But I guess it. No, no, no. I was. I was. And a even kid. not even just here because in 1985, the year before, she 
Yolanda Martin III and Bernice were arrested at the South African embassy in Washington, D.C. for protesting against apartheid. Oh, Lord. Uh, so she's all about, like, equality and I, rights. Like, Lavetta, I have a new hero. I know. Every time I learned more information about her, I was like, oh, my God, I love her. Like, I she, love her. She, and she she had so much forethought. Like, yes. she, you know, when when the general society was Martin not, Luther King was a lucky man. He was a lucky, lucky man. Because if he had married the wrong woman after he died, his legacy just would have. Yeah, yeah, it's her. It's she's her. The, it's she's her. the, she's, she's. Yeah. And so I'm uh one last thing here on January 30th night uh 19 on January 30th 2006 Coretta Scott King passed away from complications of ovarian cancer. A few days after her death, oh. thousands of Atlantans stood in line in the pouring sleet to pay their respects to her at a viewing in Ebenezer Baptist Church. She is today interred alongside her husband in a memorial crypt in the reflecting pool of the King Center's Freedom Hall complex visited by hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world year round. The inscription on the crypt uh, memorializing her life of service is from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, quote, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love, end quote. One of the most influential African-American leaders of her time, Mrs. Coretta Scott King received honorary doctorates from over 60 colleges and universities, yeah. authored three books, and a nationally syndicated newspaper column, all while being a passionate activist of justice, a devoted wife, and a graceful mother to us all. That's Coretta Scott it, King. It like, makes me cry a little bit. Maybe I know, I'm right? tired or hungry. I don't know, but like, yeah. it makes you cry. You know, sometimes like when we do research on this, you start to find out a little bit more and you're like, oh. Yeah, no. I didn't find anything about her. Yeah. Everything I kept, all, every new thing I found about her, I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. She is amazing. I mean, I'm, she's amazing. I'm overwhelmed a little, yeah. like with the knowledge. I, And I feel like, well, I always feel like we need to teach history way better than we do. Yeah. Like an actual history, whatever the fuck we're teaching now is not even true for the most yeah. part. But like. I, I mean, I think we need to... My children just learned about Martin Luther King. Oh, did they? Can I tell Aww. you how they're explaining racism to five-year-olds? Oh, God. It's it's cute. It's okay. actually... It's it's cute. Okay. Because they are five. They're so. five. Yeah, they're and babies. I, and I'm well aware, like, you have to slow... You, you yes, can't, you do. You traumatizing them now won't no. fix the situation. No. So what they say is, and my kids are still talking about it because they're horrified. Oh, okay. Do you know that in the olden days that the kids with darker skin, when they had ice cream, the ice cream was all melted. It was all melted. But the kids with lighter skin, they had good ice cream. But they had they had to have the bad ice cream. And I was like, I know, isn't that... I will allow it because that I is mean, traumatizing to a kid, bad and, ice cream. And genuinely, like, and I was talking to a mom friend, Aww. about it because our kids are in class in the together. olden days right in the Aww. olden days and and we're like yeah they it was i was it was more like they were the ice cream was thrown at them and then you know they're yeah, kicked yeah. to the ground but you know and then we, we kind of went on yeah. it was but like but like that that's like a that's an introduction to how life was unfair yes. but we are going to make sure that we yeah. keep making it better if only the olden days were true i know oh, right I know. it was just melted 
If but only, yeah, if only it were really in the older days. You're five. You're, you're five. Yeah. Not, like, no, no, no. Because I'm trying to think how we learned about. I mean, because I grew up, obviously, well, I'm black. Learned, like You learned about it the hard and way. And also, I learned about it in Florida. So Girl. that's traumatizing in and of itself. Because this guy tried to run us over, me and my friend. And we were like seven. This white guy tried to run us over. It's a oh, yeah. shitty way of learning about it. Oh, yeah. Like, you learn about racist stuff, like. Because. Because people call people you the N-word, like, you when you're a little kid. So, like. I mean, Florida. It's Florida. Um, and it's, but, that's, but you do, you kind of like, no, I, you have to teach kids. You, you, ha- you what, have to teach them. You know, I was thinking about that. you have to be that. careful because you don't, what do you, you, you don't, don't want to give them nightmares. Like, how did they teach their children? They have four children with I, right? all this going on. I'm, like, I'm so curious to know. Like, it's interesting because I, I have, I'm raising what will be seen to the world as two white males. Yeah. And, um. So I'm sort of on the side of if you see someone getting picked on, yes, you have to stand up to them. Yes. So it's less about protecting yourself and more about protecting your friends. I think contru- uh, I think confronting, uh, teaching them how to confront bullies is probably the first lesson. Yeah. Which because, I saw my yeah. kid do the other day. Yeah. He needed to keep his hands to himself a little bit more. We talked about that. Yeah, but like, no. And the, but but he, see, he saw one kid sort of bugging another, his yeah. friend. And he said, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Your teacher yeah. said, keep your hands down. Yeah. And I was like, and I said it there and I said it again later. I said, you yeah. know, you got to keep your hands to yourself. You can't grab him. But good job. Yeah. Good job standing up for your friend. Because... You know, you got to know where you stand in the world. You, know? you got to know where you stand in the world and uh, definitely teaching kids to stand up for those who are being bullied or, you know, who seem weaker or younger mm-hmm. or smaller. It's good. But I wonder how, like, because remember Yolanda was just a baby when they had the bombing. Like, and I, 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 I mean, wonder if they spent a lot of time with grandma and grandpa in Atlanta. I think they were taught at a very early yeah. age some hard truths. Yeah. And I think that they were taught that because they had to. Yeah. And then to lose their father in 68, yeah. so. I mean, they were, you know, well, Yolanda was a teenager. Like, yeah, she was a teenager. Wait, I mean, it's too, I'm like, Barely. oh, it's yeah. fine, but it's not fine. No, 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 because when you're, because I know they're teenagers, but when they're like 13 or 14, they're still. They're children. They're, chill, they're babies, they're, but they're like big and they're old enough to understand certain yeah, things, but they're still yeah, babies at 12 and 13. They really are. Yeah. I so, mean, like, I just, it's, and in, in a way, like I live in a place and my kids are in a world where I can be very gentle with how I yes, slowly yes. give them. I mean, again, I was taught about gas chambers at my children's No, and no, that's why I was wondering and, because you yeah. were saying that. You're like, yeah, I never have to watch another Holocaust thing no, ever, ever, ever again. I get it. I get it. It was so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, no, I bet. And it's interesting. They, and they, there's studies about anxiety from Jews that, that they're born with anxiety and yeah there is know, a, yeah yeah um because of that and i'm yeah. like well was it that or did you tell me a little too young but it was done in a way again in in my family's eyes and every jew learned yeah, it it was yeah. in school you learn it and was to protect yeah protect you so that, you know like, you're jewish and yeah. so a lot of the world might not like you yeah. and they're assholes you know not that word but, but also know. that because a lot of german jews and you can definitely correct me i've been told that a lot of them die because they believe no we're german yeah we're no, not there's true. no like they're like we're, we're german we're german like, yeah i mean and we're well off we've contributed to the society yeah. We're proud Germans. I mean, I have family that left 
a little bit later because they were they, not just Germany, but also in Austria. Yeah, Austria. Um, yeah. They were thriving yeah. members of society. The Jews had high, they were, yeah, they were yeah, very yeah. rich. They were very influential. But People you know why, Miriam? Because the Jews control the world. Right. Even though they they're do. only 2%. Nobody's <laughs> giving me any of it. We're 2% of the population. We apparently control the world. Where's my money? I'm confused. You know what? When people say that, I always are bringing it up because I was watching, like, I think Trevor Noah last night and they had on uh, uh, Neil uh, Brennan and he made yeah. a joke about that. Like, yeah. like you you can, you can should take a test on stupid, right? Like, so ask people <laughs> these questions. Do the Jews control the weather or yeah. answer one? No, that's ridiculous. Answer two. Well, I'm not anti-Semitic, but yes. The Jews- <laughs> <laughs> and so like, but you're like, like it's no. So we we joke. We're like yeah, we joke. Yeah. But it's it's like, like whenever people say Jews, Jewish, the Jews are taking over. I'm like, uh, Where? if that were true, Who? the Holocaust wouldn't have happened. Yeah, for sure. Like just look at that. If that were true, we'd have been like, no, it wouldn't have happened. I don't approve. The weather disagrees. So, but it's just like excuses, and it's just to, to incite paranoia. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, which is why like, I mean, and Coretta had it exact. Yeah, yeah. You cannot oppress anybody. That's right. Because if you oppress anybody everyone loses we are everyone looking loses. for the next minority yes. to oppress yes. so we have to take that off of the table we have to take that and that's why she's like my hero she was Can we big on gay Martin and lesbian Luther king jr and coretta scott, scott king, king. <laughs> yeah. i'm swear to god yeah. i'm gonna start talking about yeah. her every year she's my amazing children need to learn about her i told you when i was younger and i used to read those books like those little books in like my elementary yes, school library I, exactly I, I would read the coretta scott king one over and over oh, and over yeah. again and some of this stuff i mean obviously they didn't get into the you know because it's for children yeah a child and so but she was a good wife i always thought she was like so fascinating yeah. like because she went to college mm-hmm. and like she went to grad school and like no one ever talks about that so but no they don't we need to, i mean i yeah. think she's an important yeah, historical figure. She's and a I living. Think, the woman's a saint. We, I think she needs. We need to, be, to put her in her place in her yeah. history. Put yeah. her in her rightful place in history yes. books. Exactly, like so many women, and that's why we yeah. do this podcast. Yeah. So, all right, guys, that wraps it up for another episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Uh, guys, go to iTunes and leave us a review. If you leave us a five star review we'll give you a shout out we'll give you a shout out we will read your review mm-hmm. and we give you some love you so guys give us some love. you guys make it funny yeah yes yes <laughs> yes because and then we'll we'll call on our acting we'll <laughs> do the best we can i will work yeah. on it i will prepare <laughs> we'll my be- acting <laughs> skills we'll do it in our our horrible british shakespearean Duff. accents what podcast through light wind not to be or not to be. No, no, that is yeah. the question. Yeah, or not if we you can stop now. <laughs> um, so, but go and give us a five star review in the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcast, even on Google Play. Also, remember if you want to be a patron, if you just want to contribute to us, we want to do some things uh, this year, and yes. we need some money. Just a little bit of money. We need some money. When I saw a little bit, I'm in a lot of it, but you know, yeah, we need some money. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, just go and help us out. It could be as little as a dollar a month, or mm-hmm. you can just give us a one-time donation of like twenty dollars, fifty dollars, yeah, twenty thousand dollars. Like we'll take it. We're whatever you got. Open to whatever you got. Yeah. yeah. So uh, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Notorious Women. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook at Notorious WM Pod. Our email is Notorious WM Pod at gmail.com. And our Instagram is Notorious Women Podcast. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>